This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening, y'all. That thing on? Yep, I think so. Oh, sure is good that we all made it tonight. I hope after, uh, you know, all of y'all have stayed safe and all your, you had bursted pipe-free days these last couple of weeks. You know, today I was doing the math, and I, I'm not trying to brag, but since the Sunday we had that mini blizzard, uh, I've only been to school three days, so that's been... Uh, you know, something awesome, I'll get to hang out with my peeps. And, uh, but knowing that the piper must be paid and each day home only means extra days at the end of the school, it's very bittersweet. So, uh, but tonight, Paul will touch on some similar thoughts about whatever so-called fun the Church of Colossae was having at the time and how the choices they were making would have dire consequences later. Taking a, a quick look back, I think Brother Kalen did a great job three weeks ago uh, with a sweet little overview of the chapters we've covered so far, he went back and through the past verses, reminding us in the Church of Colossae that we are complete in Christ. And because of that, no one needs to add outside teachings to make it better. He then taught on Paul's warning about continuing in the faith and to not be deceived by the world nor cheated out of your reward by others. Kalen then so uh, dubiously ended with a cliffhanger asking, What exactly does have value over the indulgence of the flesh? Hopefully we can find some of those answers tonight. Uh, We'll be talking about the the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter 3, where the subject Paul expounds on is not carnality, but Christ. I'm not sure what circles you run around in, but uh, that word's not thrown around in mine, so I had to uh, to look that up. (laughs) I'm not bright by any means so (laughs) this is what I found if I press that all right preoccupation with or indulgence in the flesh of the body and its passions and appetites and the quality or state of being merely temporal or worldly lack of spiritual vitality or maturity as you can see carnality definitely goes against how we as Christians are called to live and in direct contrast contrast to how we must spend our time here on earth. I want absolutely nothing to do with that second definition up there. I don't want to be merely temporal or to lack spiritual vitality. I have chosen Christ as my savior and in doing so, I have chosen more than what this world can offer. And that's where we go. If you were then raised with Christ, Paul is saying if here, reminding the church of Colossae and us, their choice they made to make Christ their savior when they had become baptized, when they were raised out of the water and were made anew with Christ. So since we were raised with Christ, we are to seek those things which are above. As Christians, our desires should no longer seek fulfillment here on this earth, nor should those desires be so base as to be entirely self-serving. As soon as we come up out of the water, our main focus and desire should be to seek those things which are above. We should constantly strive to put heaven's priorities into our daily practice. And in doing so, to help us do that, Paul reminds us, 
Paul reminds them and he reminds us, our one and only true teacher, the only one who we should obey is not down here. Our teacher has now been exalted to the right hand of God. And with the proper mindset, if we constantly remind ourselves Jesus is all that matters, we're able to change our moral and ethical behavior by letting Christ live in us. So here, Paul reiterates the things he just said before, but he is changing the verb a little bit. Earlier, he said we are to seek, to actively trying to pursue and define the things above. But now he suddenly sets it to set, to set your mind on things above. I like how those two verbs go together, and it makes me think of when you're listening to the radio as you're going down the road. When you find yourself out of range from your normal radio station, you have to actively seek through the radio stations until you find the new perfect radio station for you to listen to. Then you leave it and set it to that frequency so you can enjoy it the rest of your journey. Our past lives should be so out of range we can no longer pick it up. And so that our new heavenly insight is all that is coming through loud and clear. And then Paul reiterates that fact that and drives home that there is nothing here for us. All our time and attention should be about things that please God, not on things of this earth. We should not worry about men and all their made-up rules and regulations that were discussed in chapter 2, and we should most definitely not be pursuing the indulgences of the flesh he will list shortly here in a couple of verses. For you died and your life. I absolutely love this. Where else in all of reality, reality do these four words in this exact order make any sense? For you died and your life. Nowhere but in Christ, right? The first to defeat death. Does life come after someone's death? No, but as Christians we get to hope and hold steadfast to that amazing truth. We died and then we had our life. And that life, now that we were baptized, and it's hidden with Christ in God. A study I found said that the Greeks had a term at this time where they said when somebody was died and was buried, the Greeks called this hidden in the earth. So Paul took this and tweaked that phrase to show the church of Colossae just how different they were as Christians. They were now hidden with Christ, covered up and secure from the world, concealed and unseen in God. And it's awesome to think that this is not a hope for their future or for ours, but this is a glorious reality right now for all of us. So Christ, who is our life, once again, I love Paul's words there, right? When Christ, who is our life. I mean, that simple phrase shows what level of devotion we should be living at. It is not our life to do with, with as we please, not anymore. Christ is our life. And because of that fact, we should live it in preparation for when he returns, when he reappears, and what a day of rejoicing that will be. And then, uh, with his second coming, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ returns, the entire world will be judged against the cross. I imagine it like one of those measuring sticks outside a, rolling, a roller coaster. You have to be this tall to ride. But instead, there is a cross-shaped hole that you have to step inside of. And when it's your turn to step inside of you, all of you, your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul, your everything should fill that cross-shaped hole entirely. 
And when it does, everything that the world judges us by with its wonky measuring stick that it uses on all of us, our jobs, our cars, our clothes, our social standings, all of that does not matter. When that day comes, only Christ, our life, matters. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Time out. So on to verse 5 here. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Paul, under no uncertain terms, is calling for the church in Colossae and for us to not let our bodies do whatever it wants. He is saying we are to desire worldly pleasure, pleasures as much as a dead person. So much so, he is calling us to put to death the part of the body that is causing us to sin. This mirrors, mirrors Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 29, 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for, what, for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. From here, Paul then lists... Five following sins to watch out for. Fornification, sexual immorality outside of God's intended purpose in marriage. Uncleanliness, having moral thoughts or actions. Passion, uh, all-encompassing lust. Evil desire, wanting something that is wrong and spiritually bad for us. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Wanting something so bad it takes over all our thoughts and actions. Paul, in the last chapter, <clears throat> talked about the rules and regulations over men that they have put on his, uh, men have put on us. But here, Paul is discussing the sins of the flesh that we subject ourselves to. Sadly, these are, are like our human default settings. And even sadder still, the world embraces that fact. So much so, the world force feeds us into thinking each and every one of these are okay in our everyday lives. They are constantly normalized by every form of advertisement and entertainment we are constantly bombarded by. But we as Christians have to know better and have to be better. Each of these listed seem to revolve around what we want. If we are seeking what we want down here, our mind and our heart set themselves on that sin until our thoughts and actions sadly make them a reality. So Paul's plan to counteract that is to remind us to strive to seek things above to set our minds on things above, to make Christ our life. If we are his completely, we should have no room for any of these improper desires, and they will be dead to us. In chapter 6, because of these things, like the things we just uh, mentioned, the wrath of God is coming. Like I said earlier, with snow days, you eventually have to pay the piper. One day you will stand before God, and these sinful actions will most assuredly be judged by your Creator. God is unchangingly opposed to sin, and each one will be justly punished. God's wrath is, not to, be, is to be expected if your life does not fill that cross-shaped measuring stick. In Revelation 19.15, it says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness 
and wrath of Almighty God. And that's for in store for the sons of disobedience. Another great phrase there that I believe Paul uses, the sons of disobedience. It's hard not to hear that and not think of like a gang, right? But this is the, matri- the nature that man is born into, and it shows just how much Satan influences our lives. Like I said, I think it sounds like a gang, and I think it fits, it fits very perfectly because to get accepted into most nefarious gangs, right, you have to do certain deeds and actions, most ones often illegal and highly unseemly in manner, and then to stay in the gang. You even have to keep those illegal activities going, and you're expected to, to keep those up to keep your place inside this gang. And that's where we were once. We once walked within them, and we lived within them. Before we were saved, we were in this unsavory gang, the sons of disobedience. But Christ's blood saved us from that ungodly life. We as Christians are no longer slaves to sin. That does not mean that temptation will still not find us. But it does mean we cannot be okay with purposely continuing our sinful actions and being apathetic to sin. Not when Christ is our life. But now yourselves are to put off all of these. Here Paul lists another five sins we as Christians must have nothing to do with. He wants us to take them off and be rid of them like old dirty clothes. This made me think of uh, spending all day mowing and weed eating, right? As soon as you come in, you don't want to just crawl into bed or sit in your chair. Let's just, I, I can't stand even thinking about that, so... But we should have that physical repulsion to the sin in our life and be that quick to put off the following. Anger, sudden outburst, a furious emotion, wrath or revenge, which can only be truly doled out by God. Malice, hoping another person will suffer or be harmed. Blasphemy, speaking illy towards another, especially our God. And filthy language out of your mouth, vulgar or profane speech. You know, Dane was supposed to speak tonight. These were supposed to be his turns, but we switched because they went on their little trip. And I think that's the best reason for us to switch. But I think another great reason is because I needed to see this. I needed to hear this, very much so. Because the first time when I read through this, my first thought was, that's a normal bus ride in the afternoon. That's me as I ride my bus. And I thought that was a nice little joke because... I just imagine, you know, Home Alone, Joe Pesci, just rascaling, rascaling. That's me behind the wheel, right? But uh, it does not. Uh, it does not say there, right? Where is that at? It just plainly says, put off all of these. There are no exceptions. It does not say I can be angry because little Billy Yoo-Hoo is jumping off the walls and screaming. It doesn't say I can be angry because someone pulls out in front of me and goes 15 miles under the speed limit, right? I, I cannot be angry because I'm hangry and it's been a long day. None of those are okay. And uh, I know I'm, I don't tick off all of those. I'm not out there you know, blaspheming God, but it sure tends that way whenever that first one's going on, right? 
but does not give any excuse for any of these. It says to put these off. And I realize now I repeatedly fall to those temptations because of bad habits. One's fed by me selfishly thinking all about myself and what I'm having to endure. Is that seeking instead of my mind on things above? Is that me being a new man? No, it is cheating myself out of my reward and diminishing all that Jesus went through to save me. So tonight I'm asking you to add me to your prayer list uh, so I can change this sinful aspect of my life because any sin is a sin, right? And I can use my so-called hardship, like driving a bus is really that bad, but hopefully I can use that the right way to glorify, glorify Jesus and maybe show, I mean, it's a big window. I'm showcased for the world and I need to show Jesus in that light, not that little man there. Okay, so please pray for me. I'm glad I got that verse. Thank you, Dane. Y'all did. Thank you for getting married so long ago to make this happen tonight. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and then we go on to the next verse, now, uh, verse 9. Do not lie one to another. We are called to be as Christ-like as possible, and lying is the complete opposite of that. If we're trying to lead others to Christ, how can we do that if our words are misleading to begin with? Lies break trust and violates truth and love. All three things a church family needs at its core to survive and grow stronger together. I wondered why he didn't have this in that list before, but now I think these are what we were doing to each other, you know, as a, as a church. And I, I can't help to think that now that they're learning the truth, that new knowledge, right, they can't keep bringing that into the church as lies. They need to stop that lying. But I think you also just can't have that one to another in, in just any situation at all. So since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. Once again, Paul is referring to our baptism, after which our new conduct should match our faith. With these three sentences, I imagine it as, as if I keep going back to cars. I think last time I talked about cars, but I'm going to talk about cars again tonight. And with this, I think that we are like cars. At one time, we had a driver, an owner, that drove us around, leading us down the same old roads over and over again on our daily commute to reach the things needed for that life. But now Jesus is our new owner. He purchased us with his sacrifice and his blood. Our title was changed into his name, and we got new plates to seal the deal. Now with our minds set on things above, Jesus is driving and taking us down brand new roads and taking us to new areas, ones that are needed for a life that is his and completely separated from our past owner's life. Surely we may cross the same road sometimes unexpectedly, but with Jesus at the wheel, we are driving to and parking at our new home at the end of the day. And Paul is praying here for you to know to be renewed in knowledge. Back in the chapter 1, verse 10, Paul prayed for the church of Colossae to be increasing in the knowledge of God. And that is a blessing as a new man to be constantly renewed that way. Because that knowledge and the unwavering quest for it will keep us constantly renewed and ever growing in our continuing commitments to Jesus' teachings. That will help us stay on the right road. As a way, way younger man, way 
back in the other century, I was under the misperception uh, that my Christian walk was a destination when I could reach and then I could just live there in glorious bliss. But thankfully, I quickly learned how wrong that was. Our Christian walk is never done and is only finished when we appear with him in glory. This is a complete opposite of that definition of carnality we saw earlier. This is not being merely temporal or lacking spiritual vitality. This is being renewed by God's power. According to the image of him, because we were created in his image, who created him. And here I thought that was another, I thought that him was Jesus, but that's the tiny him. That's us. That's the new man. God holds up Jesus Christ as the standard in which we are to conform. And God created the new, created the new man and made it possible for us to be this new creature in Christ, where we can strive to be as much like him as we possibly can be. From there, he continues on that thought, where the new man is, where there is neither. This is speaking to there in Colossae, where the new man lived with clear boundaries between all peoples. But Paul is also speaking to here in the presence of the new man now. So after spending all of this section warning against the evil of sins, Paul is now celebrating the fact that absolutely everyone is considered equal in Christ's sight and welcome to receive his good news. Because where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, at this time this was someone who did not speak Greek and was considered uncivilized. Uh, I'm going to say Scythian try that. Uh, that is people from South Russia that were considered little better than wild beasts. That's uh, nice. But then uh, slave nor free. This is just absolutely everybody there. And this is encompassing all that's here with us now. Paul is reminding and celebrating that Christ destroyed all barriers. Barriers between nations between classes, between colors of skin, between political divide, the list goes on and on. Every imaginable wall humans can possibly, possibly put up against each other and sadly will has been turned into bridges by Christ. Where people come together under the banner of God and God alone, all other little man-made nations do not matter. As I was working on this lesson, we gathered one night for our, for our family Devo and I was amazed to find that the lesson was on exactly this. And it really caught my attention because the writer asked one simple question. Would you treat people that are in your lives, even the ones you cannot stand being in the same room with, would you treat them any different if you knew they would be right next to you worshiping God forever? And that may be put on the brakes because that's, I mean, that's our reality. The person I might not like might still be saved. <laughs> you know, he still might be right next to me, praising God forever and ever right next to me. Christ does not play favorites, and thankfully neither should we. Or Christ does not play favorites, thankfully, and neither should we. Because in Revelation 7, 9, 10, it says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, all of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with right robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This image of worshiping together in heaven is our last page. And what that means is I recently uh, read an article about a writer and he talked about the easiest story he ever wrote. He had the last page written first. And he said that when he already knew that, the rest of the story fell right into place. Everything else in between easily led him back to the last page. And this image of worshiping together in heaven is our last page, right? Tonight, Paul has reminded us where we started and how that changed by Christ's blood and he has warned us of the potholes we must watch for along the way. But most importantly, we must always remember that in all of that, but Christ is all and in all. That gets us back to our last page. So tonight, if you have not yet been buried with Christ, not yet became a new man, if you have not yet died so your life can be hidden with Christ in God, Please come forward as we sing this song. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.